just a minute, I'm going to introduce Natalie, who's going to be speaking tonight. She will in our game series a, a huge role of pastoral responsibility. Just pray for us one more time. Um, as we come here together, we all come from different, um, different places, and we all come with different weights. And uh, I want to make sure that uh, you know that we see that and we hear that, and that it's okay. And um, God is so big that he is okay with how you and I might be feeling right now. And we have let you just give me time to brush you. Such a way that we're validated in God in you and how that responds to the world around you and other things. And let's pray together. God, it's in weeks like this, I look out on campus and I watch television. I, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to talk to this person. And I'll probably hear myself or maybe a loved one first week or whatever. And I don't know the words that would bring healing. I don't know what I can say to people that are pain. Right. 
it's by far probably the hardest I've ever preached so far, and it might be the hardest I've ever, I will ever have the opportunity to preach. Tonight I'm going to be speaking really deeply personally. I know that we're all in different places, and I know we all fall on different levels and different spectrums, and we have different feelings. Today I'm just going to speak from my heart where I'm at. And I hope you provide the liberty to do that. And honestly, two days ago, I viewed this passage very differently. Not the, the passage specifically, not the words, not what the Bible says, but maybe my tone and how I read it, how I read it. So tonight, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what side of the spectrum I'm feeling, everyone's coming with some sort of heaviness. Doesn't matter where you fall on that, I think we all came in with some sort of heaviness. And I also know that many people are coming in today feeling really broken, discouraged, and weaker. And to be just frank and honest, that's where I'm at. I know everyone's at a different place, but that's where I'm at. Before you read, I did want to clarify one or two things. In preaching this, I'm afraid that in light of what's happening out there, what's happening on our campus, uh, in our world, that this passage and this message could sound invalidating. It's easy to hear my words and find an excuse to write them off. This week, um, I know that I felt invalidated. I think it's easy for us to focus on God and being sovereign, which is true and it's good. But in people saying that it's invalidating a lot of my feelings, it's felt like it's criticized by faith in Jesus, and I don't think that it has validated maybe the pain and the hurt that I felt, the pain that I have ripped off that through a feeling. It's felt like maybe it's sweeping it under the rug. And so I just I hope that you don't hear that in my voice because that's not what I want. And even more so because of the past day or two and being made more aware of that. I hope that I can communicate that to everyone. So please try to hear that from me because I'm in this with you. And I also know that people are dealing with more pain than I am. I know people are dealing with it on different levels, and I understand that. And I hope that as you hear me, you recognize that I am not saying that I feel the most pain. I'm not saying that I feel your pain, but that I'm here with you. Yesterday, Lecrae, who most of you probably know, a Christian rapper, he tweeted out something that was really poignant to me. He said, I know God is in control, but so did Jesus when he wept for Lazarus. I hope that tonight I can validate our feelings and our pain, no matter what that pain is. I hope I can provide a hope, even if it's a painful one. So we're going to read uh, James 5. And we're just going to cover today in prayer, I guess. Because I'm going to pray before we read it. Will you join me? God, tonight we recognize your goodness. And we recognize that you're Lord. God, and we know that you feel our pain and you hear us and you're with us. Would you tonight meet us where we're at? Would you reveal your truth and who you are in the midst of everything else? Would you just be you and would you reveal yourself? Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So James 5, you pick up in verse 7. This is what it says. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, 
patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, and you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven, by earth, or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. This passage is part two. It's a continuation of what Blake talked about last week, which was, um, was, was James addressing the rich oppressor. So today, this passage is a response to the persecuted church. After addressing those rich oppressors, really addressing those people who were being oppressed, addressing the church that was in the midst of being persecuted. And as I read this, and as I read this this week, there really are four main points that came up to me that I saw in this passage that were speaking to me where I'm at personally that I want to talk about tonight. I think all of these points are a little bit hard. We're going to have to process then, but I think this is what we see. Point number one, what we see James telling the persecuted church is that one, there will be suffering. Jesus in the Bible never promised that we won't suffer for our faith. Never really speaks that we won't be persecuted, that we don't see persecution. We see countless examples of this throughout Scripture. Some of them tend to fear David in the Old Testament. Is constantly running for his life. He's, he's known as a man after God's own heart, but people are running after him and trying to kill him constantly. The Psalms are full of his laments about how dangerous it is. Another one, the Israelites in Egypt, they are enslaved, they are captives in a land that's not their own, and they, and they are made to work. They're tortured and they're beaten, um, and this is the reality of the Israelites in, in the Old Testament. We also see the apostles who most of them were martyred for their faith. We see this in present day. We see this in the international church or the underground church in places where people are not allowed to by law practice their faith. We see martyrs in the Middle East. We see videos online very easily of people being killed and hurt for their faith. And this is a present reality in a lot of places. James 1 verses 2 and 3. We read this at the beginning, the first week of the series. It says, Consider it pure joy when we face trials. John 15, 18 says, um, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he tells them, The world is going to hate you. He says, The world hates me and they hate you. Acts 14, 22 says, We will go through many hardships in order to enter the kingdom of God. I wish that it said otherwise, but scripture shows us. That Jesus never promised that we wouldn't suffer for our faith. It also shows us that Jesus in the Bible never promises us that we won't suffer in our faith. So one, we won't suffer for it doesn't say that we won't suffer for our faith. It also doesn't say that we won't suffer in our faith. This to me is more personal. I think that I can easily say I'm not part of the persecuted church 
yes, I've been made fun of as people have taunted me or said comments to me, but I do not experience what a lot of the persecuted church has experienced. I have, however, struggled in my own faith and have felt far from God before. We see an example of this in scripture in many places. Lamentations, Jeremiah is constantly um, explaining his, how he feels far away from God. We see Job in the Old Testament that everything was stripped from him. His family, his money, his wealth, his home, his health. He all but died for his faith. And God felt far off. And then in the Psalms we see countless times that the psalmists are saying, God, you feel far away from me. Why are you listening to me judgment? Just few minutes ago, that song worked but felt far off. Scripture doesn't promise that we won't struggle in our faith. There's this idea that many of you have probably heard about the dark night of the soul, this term, which really describes a season in our lives where God feels far away and we don't hear him or don't feel him and experience his joy. I know this is a huge part of my story, my personal story. A lot of you guys know different bits of this story and parts of my story, but and then my struggle with depression uh, about five or six years ago now was probably one of the, the hardest seasons of depression in my life. Days when it was really hard to wake up and get out of bed. Um, hard to, to feel love in a community or love in people. Not because of the people, but because of the season I was in. Hard to worship God, hard to believe in His goodness, hard to feel it, hard to feel that He was around me. This all was actually right after I felt God's calling me to missions, He's calling me into ministry, and as soon as I felt that call, this was the response, was this dark night of the soul season. I think a lot of you have probably dealt with that too. This is a, a major part of, of my story, why I'm here. I'm afraid that somehow I've misinterpreted the Bible to telling me, telling us that this won't happen. I think I've become so comfortable and don't expect suffering and persecution to happen to me that I struggle and I'm disillusioned when it does. I do think this is a problem in the church. I think I'm part of the problem. I think a lot of you probably dealt with this problem. When I was in this season, this dark season, when I felt not only was being far away from God, but this, this season of deep insecurity and guilt because something happened be wrong with me because I was told that what I, I believe the Bible was telling me is that I need to choose joy. I need to be better. I need to feel better. God is a God of joy and rejoicing, so rejoice and, and, and come near to you. But that's not what it felt like. So I felt like there's something wrong with me. Because that's what I had convinced myself. That's why I think a lot of the church has convinced themselves. I've also found myself thinking that maybe we as a church should actively make decisions to avoid persecution for our own safety. But I also see that that often comes at the expense of things that the Bible tells me to do. Things like caring for the poor, welcoming the refugee and the orphan, caring for the widow, caring for people who are not like me, who don't believe like me. I avoid persecution and I seek safety at the expense of others. Because what I've done is I've made my faith value. I think it's really easy to believe that Christianity is about ourselves. I know I fall into that. I, I convince myself that God promises to hold us up, but that's not what we see. That's not what we see in James 5. 
My second point that I see is that because when you're more hopeful, is that we'll be blessed for our suffering. In verse 11, James says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. I think that's a little bit more hopeful than just knowing there will be suffering. We see a, a promise that we'll be blessed. In Matthew 5, Jesus is addressing a crowd in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, it's a sermon that he just preaches to a crowd of people in, the, in, in one part of it. It's called the Beatitudes. And really what he's just saying is, is blessed are these people and saying what will happen to them because they are blessed. Because of what they've done, what they be blessed with. Um, it's really paradoxical. I think a lot of things that don't really make sense in our culture, in the culture that people we're living in. But he still speaks it out. So to list them off, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, they'll inherit the kingdom. Uh, those who mourn will be comforted, the meek will inherit the earth, hunger, those who have hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Those who are merciful will be shown mercy. Those who are pure in heart will see God. The peacemakers will be called the children of God. Those who are persecuted because of righteousness, they will inherit the kingdom. We see through through his sermon and through a lot of the rest of scripture that we are blessed for the suffering as I say this, I want to be really clear about something, and I want you to hear this. Just because we're blessed for our suffering, it doesn't mean that the pain that comes with persecution and suffering is invalid. It doesn't mean that it is right, it doesn't mean it's not hurtful, and it doesn't mean we're not allowed to feel pain. It doesn't mean that we're not allowed to feel things deeply. Because persecution and suffering, it causes deep pain and deep healing. And so I want to be real about that. I don't want to cover that up. We see this inscription in the Psalms, in Lamentation. There's so much lament and pain, and, and the writers are allowed to sit in their pain and feel it. All of this, all of this blessing does not make the suffering meaningless. And I want you guys to hear that. And I need to hear that. Back in that season of my life, I started just kind of thinking about uh, some things about the season that I was in. And it became really fascinated with um, dandelions, actually, and the, the image that they, they showed for me. A dandelion, what's cool about them is one flower, you guys have probably done this when you're kids, when you are adults, um, where you blow the dandelion and all the seeds blow everywhere, and then your mom comes out and is like, I don't know why you do that because dad just broke the line on your sort of weed that you wear. Um, and not Natalie, but anyway, that might just be me. Um, a dandelion is cool because it is dead. But every seed that doesn't succeed on a dandelion, they produce new life. That's why they're weeds. Because dozens from one plant can spread and create so much life everywhere else. I think this is really symbolic to me because death in one season can produce life in another. In verse 7, we see that, that he's talking about the harvest time. That you plant a seed, but you have to wait patiently for the harvest to come to bear fruit, to see the result of what you've sown. I think that's true about the seasons of our lives. We might not see the light that could come from this, from the dead season, I, I couldn't see the light that was coming from that. 
and I couldn't see where the light would spring up later on. But there was a knowledge and a hope that there's a harvest to be reaped somewhere. There's a blessing to be reaped somewhere. This is what people got me 35 years ago is this idea that the death that I was living in, the darkness I felt, produced life somewhere else, even though I couldn't see it, even though I didn't feel it, and it was hard to cling on to. I was able to see that and hold on to it. But I'm going to be honest with you today, I am not there. Today, I don't feel that. I don't see where that new life is going to be in the pretty. I know a lot of you guys are too, but I hope that one day I can be there. And I believe that one day I can be there. I believe that I will see the glory that God has from this season that I'm in right now. We see that we're blessed for our suffering and for our persecution, but I think we may not see it in this earthly life. Not always. It doesn't always look that way. And I do believe Jesus' mercy is new every morning. I believe that he can give us his joy in this life. But sometimes we don't see the blessing right here in this earthly life. We're a blip in the face of eternity. We are one small thing. And it's really hard to see where that connects to everything else about eternity in our universe. But this week more than ever, I think I'm challenged to think about that a little bit more. Our lives have touched so many things that we don't even know about, and will touch so many more things that we won't know about. Many of you probably remember the really sad image of the Christian martyrs in Egypt being murdered by the Islamic State last year uh, on the beach. 21 people who were kneeling. Uh, it was videotaped. A lot of us have seen that. And I heard a story about it as, as while, they, while they were there on the video, they heard they were sitting there just praying, Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, over and over. 20 of the men. Were, were Christians and were being killed for that. And as they were, they were being killed, one of the men who was a member of ISIS saw their faithfulness in their prayers. And in that moment, what they were, they were praying, they saw Jesus, he saw Jesus, and he knew that Jesus was the way to life. And so the video shows 21 men because one man was a Christian before decided, based on their testimony and what they were doing to kneel as well and to be killed for his faith after turning to Jesus. Those 20 men didn't know what God was going to do with them. And it's, it's tragic. It is not fair. It's not right. And we don't condone any of that. But they didn't see how their faithfulness and their perseverance was going to change the life of someone else. It might not be what we expect. It might not be what we want. The blessing might not be immediate. And it might not be earthly. There's also this other idea that we see in verse 8, where he says, You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. I think it's really easy for us as humans to not really understand the kingdom of God. I think it's really hard for me to understand heaven, to see that as a hope. I think when people say, Oh, well, our hope is in heaven, our hope is in the kingdom of God, that to me doesn't compute because I don't necessarily understand the kingdom. So I want to take a second just to maybe help us understand the gravity of it a little bit more. I've been reading through the book of Revelation, 
And the book just gives us a tiny glimpse of what it will be like to be with Jesus. We see a couple of things. We see a new heaven and a new earth that totally shakes up everything that we know here. We see that we will be meeting with the Lamb of God face to face and sitting with Him and along with Him. We, um, it says that we'll receive a white stone that has a new name for us. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is going to be. I have no idea. But I think it's going to explain the meaning of it all. I think it's going to explain what we've been questioning our whole lives, what the meaning of all of this was. And Revelation has a lot of other stuff that we don't understand, and I understand that, and we're going to wrestle with it, and we're going to come with, with different theories and ideas, but we see the kingdom of God, that it's something that's so much greater than what we have here. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story where the Master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. I think we need to have it, and Jesus will say, as a blessing for our perseverance, it says, well done, good and faithful servant. We also see Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven constantly in the Gospels while he was here on earth. He always gets comparisons and tries to explain it. And the truth is, I don't understand most of it. I don't know what heaven will be like. I don't know what the kingdom of God looks like. But Jesus talked about it so much. I think it must be important. It must be something we're hoping for and thinking on praying about and moving toward. So if we don't experience the blessing in our earthly life, I think we can toward the kingdom of God with hope, with anticipation, with joy. And point number three is that we persevere with patience. In verses seven and eight, it says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient, stand firm until the Lord's coming is near. I think we see that we need to wait for the blessing patiently. So, what does this mean? How do we do it? I'm going to be clear, I think this is really hard to do. This is not easy. I do think my perspective, though, matters. That I, I wait patiently with the right perspective. But again, I want to clarify that this doesn't mean we stop feeling the pain. Doesn't mean we stop fighting for change, standing up for the oppressed, praying for relief. I don't think that we're supposed to neglect those things, and I think that's because Jesus did it. Jesus prayed those things and did those things when he was on earth. So I think that matters, I think that's valid. But I do think that sometimes we have to shift the perspective a little bit. I, I saw a message asserted by Dick Rodman, who is a missionary in the Middle East, and he, he spends his life with unreached people groups. And he read from a passage in John 12. You can follow along with me on the screen. Uh, in, in John 12, verses 27 and 28, this is Jesus as he's predicting his death and talking about how he will be crucified. And Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And Dick Rockin talks about three points in reading this. He talks it in three ways. One, he says that Jesus is worthy of glory. Two, Jesus is worthy of our living. And three, Jesus is worthy of our dying. I don't normally focus on that third one. And to be honest, I don't usually have to. 
But in focusing on that, we see that the ultimate prayer that Jesus prays is not, God, save me from this. It's, Father, glorify your name. In Lamentations, Jeremiah says, Jeremiah recognizes his pain and prays for God to take it away. But his ultimate focus, his ultimate prayer is to glorify God's name, is to recognize who he is. In my fight to see God's kingdom come on earth, to see the Bible and words of Jesus played out tangibly, I wonder if I've lost sight of bringing glory to his name. Those things are good, the fight to see God's kingdom come is good, the fight to see the Bible played out in our world. And to see the love of Jesus shown in our world, that is good, and that is truly what it means to be a Christian. But before all of that, my goal has to be to glorify God's name. That's why I'm here, that's why I'm living. In Mark 14 36, Jesus is praying right before he's crucified, and he says, God, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours. Jesus is praying for change. He's saying, this is so painful. He's crying with blood. He thinks this is so painful. I do not want to do this. Please take this from me. But trust in your will and trust that you're good, even though this hurts. He validates the pain. He feels the pain. He lets himself feel it. Jesus himself lets himself feel it. And he prays about it. He prays to God about it, to have it taken from him. But his ultimate prayer is to glorify God's name and trust in Point number four is that we have a hope. Verse 11 says that God is full of compassion and mercy. As I said before, we're just a tiny speck in the eye of eternity. I don't understand everything. I don't know many things. But this is what I do know and what I'm clinging on to this week. John 16.33 says, In this world you will have many troubles, but take heart, you have overcome the world. Jesus validates that we will have troubles, and he tells us we will have troubles, but that we have a hope that we can take heart in the fact that God has overcome the world. On weeks like these, I keep going back to Lamentations, chapter 3. I've mentioned this a couple times already today, and we're going to read through it. If you want to turn with me there, and you can follow along on the screen as well. I go back to this passage quite often, and if you can see my Bible up here, you can see the crinkle um, paper from many tear marks. Because I think that this is a place that I go back to when I'm reading. Jeremiah is, is, is saying, my bones are broken, I've been pained, people are, are trying to kill me. God, you feel far off, I don't see you, you're far away. That's what he's saying in the beginning of chapter 3. But we're going to pick up in verse 18, and you can read along with me. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. 
to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him, that a very space in the dust there may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. What I see in Lamentations 3 is a dusty kind of hope. It's sitting at your lowest point, it's feeling the pain and the feelings that come with hurt. It's letting ourselves sit there and to be there. But it gives us a way to hope and trust in the God who is near to the brokenhearted. It allows us to validate the feelings and know that they're real and know that they're not of Him. Yet, He brings, he brings relief and He brings a blessing. Some days I can only cling to the image of the kingdom. I can only cling to a dusty hope, one that's really hard to grab onto, one that's really hard to see, one that's hard to see the life that comes out of this, one that's hard to see where the relief is going to come or where the breakthrough is going to happen, or even feel God is near to me as my heart is breaking. And I think that's okay to be in that place. Tonight we're going to respond in worship and the band's going to come up and we're going to respond in song like we, we often do. But I did want to kind of talk through a couple things before we respond. I think we respond not to cover up anything, not to sweep anything under the rug, but to let us understand who God is in the face of what we're, what we're dealing with. This week, my tone and my feelings are much different than what two days ago. It's much harder for me to say these things today. And I personally am speaking from a place of very dusty hope. It's not because I feel the hope or the, the blessing. I don't, I don't necessarily feel it. But because I know that Jesus is who he says in his words are true. Um, I have to know that. I have to cling to that. A couple weeks ago, I was at a worship service and a song came on, uh, they, were, they were singing a worship song, and the bridge just was talking about Jesus sitting on his throne, and that he's sovereign, and that the earth will shake before him, will kneel at his name. And at the time, I, I would, had not been thinking about this, but in that moment, um, I just kind of started thinking about where we are as a country, where we were in the, in the moment, before anything happened this week just where we are in the world who we are, and I think no matter, again, what side of the spectrum you fall on, it's easy to see, it'd be hard to say that we're not broken. And this week, more than ever, that's even more real to me. It's probably real to a lot of you. As we sang those words that Sunday, I knew they were true, but couldn't feel them. I couldn't feel it at all. It was hard for me to believe it. There's no way to know something with your head and know you have to worship out of that sometimes. So my heart is very heavy. I feel like 
my head knows it. And in that, that moment, I lifted my hands because I knew I could worship that, because I knew that was true. But every time I would go to, to sing, to put voice to those words, I couldn't. And as <laughs> tears are streaming down my face, my voice is cracking. Much to feel embarrassed, like I'm being nasty, and I couldn't, I couldn't say. In that moment, it, it was a really desperate hope. It was a really broken hope. I felt really broken. And some days, all we can do is lift our hands, but we don't have the voice to sing that. We don't have the strength to sing it. And tonight, I want to tell you that that's okay. Where you're at, it's okay. It's okay if we don't have the strength to stand, if we don't have the strength to even stand up. But I think the Bible is true. I think the, the point of worship is that for a few moment, moments we need to focus not on what's wrong with me, but on, but, but on what's right. It doesn't make us forget. It doesn't make us not feel things. It doesn't make us not feel hurt. But it does put our focus on something that's greater than what I know and what I understand right now. This doesn't make things easy. And I want to be clear about that too. I think we think if we come to the altar and lay it there and we walk back out, everything will be easy and we'll be lifted off of us. That doesn't happen. Um, usually it makes things hard. It's really hard for me to stand and to worship God on days far away. It's hard to worship God when I feel hurt and wounded. So I want to tell you that it feels hard. That is probably what it's supposed to feel like. Now that's normal. And that's okay. And honestly, tonight, that's not what I would want to choose. My, my earthly self, my human self, would not choose to stand here and worship God. My earthly self would be angry. Sit in hurt and sit in pain. But, but not to respond to that second part. To just sit there. Tonight you might not be able to sing, but my prayer is that we'll keep pushing and trusting in the blessing that comes with perseverance. You know, that, if that's a test of hope, even if it's a painful one. And I hope that we as a community can be together and persevere together and keep pushing. No matter where we're at, understanding that we're all in different places. And for me, understanding that we were all in different places, that me and you are different. Tonight, can we cling on to a really broken, a really deep, and really hard hope that Jesus is doing? And that there's a lot that we don't understand, but in the midst of our pain, He hears us, He sees us, He knows us, and He wants to. You're good. God, and there's some days where I don't, don't feel it, where I know it less. And I think we are, we are a community full of brokenness. We might be a community tonight full of 
pain or hurt or discouragement is hard on it. But God, I know that you meet us. God, I know that you know us, that you hear us, that you see me. God, I pray tonight as we respond and as we try to pray out that you're good. God, would you just meet us where we're at? God, would you be Jesus? Would you be you? That we can continue to, to have the strength to keep pushing through every day, knowing that you're good, that, that you love us. That we start to feel it more deeply. God, that we can get to a place where we can be the church out there, that we can show your love, that we can love people well, like Jesus loved people. Before we do that, God, would you do that here? Would you do that in me? God, we need you. Thank you. And tonight, would you be with us? Be with us in your name.